Welcome to the Here and Now Motherhood podcast. Here and Now Motherhood is a nonprofit designed to support moms in their transition into motherhood. I'm your host, Nicole Hunt. Welcome to the Here and Now Motherhood podcast, everybody. I'm Nicole, and we have Rachel with us today. She's going to be sharing her motherhood story. Um, Rachel and I were friends back when we uh, lived in the San Francisco Bay Area together. Um, Well, I guess we're still friends. (laughs) But um, Rachel, do you want to just give a quick introduction about yourself? Yeah, I lived in the Bay Area for about six years and married for nearly seven. Um, We got a little baby girl. She's five months and a cat. Awesome. And you're a really great (laughs) photographer, too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm a photographer. (laughs) Um, So let's kind of start with your motherhood story before you ever, like, became a mother or ever had an interest in, like, starting that journey. So what was your perception of motherhood before you ever started down that path? That's a really interesting question because – I feel like my mom, her, but obviously my main source of motherhood perception, um, mother, being a mother was her number one job. Her number, like, that is who she was, was a mom. Not just to me, but it seemed like she was a mom to other people. Like, she was Relief Society president for a while, and she just kind of took people under her wing and, um, It was her identity, so I kind of had this feeling that motherhood was your entire identity. And so I wanted to wait for a while to have kids um, because I wanted to have another identity, um, not just being a mom. Not that just being a mom is bad, but um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. I mean, I think that was similar to my perception of motherhood, which is funny because my mom like owns her own business and is like in a male dominated field. But somehow I still thought that like, if you're a mom, that's all you are, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think then you become a mom and you're like, wow, it's not, doesn't feel very good to just be a mom. I need other things in my identity or else this doesn't work very well. Right. But at the same time, like it is such a, such an awesome and like fulfilling thing that like I can get a little bit how you could just be an all-consuming like maybe housemaker is a better thing that would be all-consuming like cooking and cleaning and doing all that stuff that a traditional 50s mom might do like there is a lot to do and it feels good to kind of be the manager of a home but Yeah, I think that's like the manager of a home is like a good way to describe that. Like, because it's, it is a lot of work to run a household. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I I think that's a good point to make that like that can be fulfilling for people and all power to them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I'm not one of those people, but some people maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And whenever I see him, I'm like, you're cool. I can't do that, but that's cool. Congratulations. <laughs> Wish I could do that. So um, were you around a lot of other mothers and young children when you were growing up? Yeah, I think growing, just growing up LDS, um, families are a big part of the culture. Um, so I feel like – oh, I'm, sorry, I'm – um I feel like just I was around other kids all the time and I'm the second of six kids so I changed oh it's echoing a little is that my bad um can you hear that should I worry about it or no no I don't I don't hear it at all it sounds good okay cool um being the second of six kids, I changed diapers. I babysat them. Um, I played with them, and you know they're they're kind of your little your little children. Um, my youngest brother is seven years younger than me, so um, he was like my little pet kind of. Um, mm-hmm. And then 
I babysat when I was a, a youth. Um, but I feel like that was so different because I just watched TV with the kids. I don't remember ever being super nurturing, but then the last the last few years before um, having my own kid, when we moved here, I was all, most of my friends had kids and I called them my friends, the kids, my friends, not just their moms. And I got to know them and love them and spent so much time just hanging out with them. And that's when I feel like I started having like nurturing a little bit more and not just, not just uh, caring for their physical well-being, but like caring for them emotionally as well. Um, and wanting to spend time with them and get to know them and have relationships. Yeah. I think that's something that you're really good at. I remember seeing you with one of our friend's kids, um, Avery, and she had had an accident in her swimsuit and, you helped her with that and you're very calm about it. I'm like, I'm not sure I would have been that like nurturing or calm in that situation. (laughs) I totally forgot about that, but oh, thank you. She's the one I was thinking about. She's so, so great. Yeah. She's a cutie and she's really a sweetheart. I miss her. So, um, it sounds like some of the things that led you to wanting to have a kid were like developing like nurturing attitudes or feelings towards other children. Is that, is that part of it? Was that part of it for you? Yeah. I think with my siblings, it was kind of just a given that they were growing up and we were going to be friends, but having other kids and other kids around that weren't my siblings, um, nieces and nephews and then my friends kids too like seeing that you had to work at a relationship instead of just it was there and they're going to be in your life um it was different I don't know why it was different but um it was just fulfilling in a different way making them I guess okay seeing so many other adults care so little about children or like oh yeah, that's my friend's daughter. Um, and I wanted to be different. I wanted to be the the friend that was also their friend that remembered their birthdays and took them on play dates and not just babysat, but actually like hung out with them. And, um, being the idea that that would one day be my own child and my own child would be someone that I would want to hang out with and I would like and enjoy and um, be able to teach and, you know, help them grow big and strong, but also have a good relationship, I guess. I don't know. It sounds like um, I see some moms, like, it almost come like having kids almost comes from, like, a sense of duty. Mm-hmm. Of like, I need to have children for whatever reason, whether it's like cultural expectations or religious responsibilities or whatever. But for you, it was more of like a, like an interpersonal drive to like connect with these other kids and then potentially your future children someday. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Just seeing so many people, so many different examples of parents who have kids out of duty, like you said, and parents who are friends with their children and those parents stand out to me and I really thought that was really great. Yeah, it definitely is like a different style of parenting that seems pretty neat. Mm -hmm. So um, when you decided it was time to start having kids, what was that process like for you? Did it take, um, was it kind of like you woke up one morning and you were like, I think I'm ready to start having kids or was it um, a little slower? Um, a big part of it actually had to do with photography. So, which kind of seems like a weird checklist item, but as you know, when we first moved here, I was in kind of a soul sucking job, um, for, and I worked there for like four years and it was nothing 
as an apartment manager for those listeners. Um, it was nothing fulfilling at all. It's not something I could see myself doing for years and years and years. Um, and at that point, having a kid would rescue me from that job because then, oh, I could quit my job and raise a kid. And that doesn't seem like a healthy mindset, just not for me. It, mm-hmm. I'm sure it works for plenty of people, but the whole kid rescuing you kind of thing, not my jam. Mm-hmm. So I, I realized that I needed something else. I needed another part of my identity where having a kid would change things for sure, but wouldn't um, be a saving grace to let me quit my job. And I, I wanted to have something where I wouldn't want to quit. So anyways, I started doing photography um, on the side. I grew that into a business. And at some point, I was making more money um, with this business that I made myself um, than I was with my like nine to five job. Um, And at that point, I was like, I think, like, I don't know why that was such a milestone, but I felt like. I I think that's a pretty big deal, especially like being in the Bay Area, like where cost of living so high. I don't know. I think that that's a big deal. Well, thank you. It, it felt cool to me. Um, and it felt like enough where I could say, oh, hi, I'm Rachel. I'm a photographer instead of, oh, I'm Rachel. I take pictures sometimes. Like having some aspect of my personality or of who I am, I guess, that or of my identity, that's what I was trying to say. Some aspect of my identity that that I had created on my own kind of thing. And then from there, I could add being a mother. And it wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to shed everything else about who I am and just be a mom. It's like, this is something that I am proud of. And I want to be part of me. Now let's add being a mom to it. I'm honestly kind of in awe of like the wisdom and like the foresight you had with that. Cause I don't know if I've ever met another mom that was like, I want this really important piece of my identity be, to be really solid. And then I'll add motherhood as kind of like a cherry on top. I think I've ever heard that before. Oh, well, thank you. It felt very selfish at the time, I think, because I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that like I would be able to love my child and not resent them for any reason. I wanted to make sure that I would be happy and with like pre predisposed for depression. I wanted to um, kind of get ahead of that. Yeah. I mean, that's really, really smart. Um, so was it easy for you guys to get pregnant? Um, it, took let's it took about three months of <laughs> I hate to say active trying because that sounds <laughs> so weird you know but three months of not um actively not trying how was that my brother moved out of um he was living in our extra bedroom he moved out and then three months later I got pregnant so it's that you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, so what was your pregnancy like? It was really rough. Um, I was sick pretty much from the beginning. Um, the most definitive part of that first trimester, we went on a trip to Japan. Um, Brad had a conference there and so I tagged along and, I cannot even look at photos of that trip without getting nauseous. So sad. We were in this awesome foreign country with so much good food and so much to see. And I was tired and sick and all of the smells make me want to die. And I ate pastries instead of sushi. And I had ramen one time and threw up afterwards. It was just so sad. So we need to go back to Japan so that I can make up for those memories. 
one day. Um, what was the flight like being nauseous and pregnant and being on a long flight like that? The flight actually was the best part of the trip. Since I was so exhausted, I slept a majority of the time both ways. Somehow, <laughs> I don't know how it worked, but somehow the flight is the only thing that does not make me sick to think about. Wow. Yeah, you'll have to go back to Japan someday and yeah. make up for that. <laughs> so I did cry on the way home because in my emotional state, our cat sitters had not sent us a photo of Nala that day. And so I was like going through every scenario in my head that like, oh my gosh, they're going to pick us up from the airport and they're going to tell us that Nala got out or that something happened to her. They didn't send a picture because they didn't know how to tell it. I was just, my my pregnant mind was going insane and I just sat mm-hmm. there and sobbed and it was ridiculous. <laughs> Man, the emotions during pregnancy are just insane. Just insane. Oh. Like so over the top. I will never understand those people that say, I love being pregnant. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So pretty much your whole pregnant, was it your whole pregnancy that you were nauseous like that? So luckily that went away around 14 or 15 weeks. But then after that, I still didn't have a normal pregnancy. Um, I had some complications at 17 weeks. Um, I'm sure you remember, but I woke up New Year's Eve um, in a pool of blood and got up to go to the bathroom to, you know, figure out what was wrong and lost a lot more blood and passed out and fell off the toilet um, and hit my head on the cabinet because, you know, small Bay Area bathrooms. Um, And I just laid on the floor for a while and called for Brad and he came in and um, I thought at that point that I lost the baby and I could hardly move. Um, I found out later that I'd lost a 15th of my blood, um, which is kind of a lot. So that's a liter or was it half a liter? No. How much blood do you have? Anyway, a 15th. I did the calculations then. I'm not going to try to recalculate now. Um, And that was my first ambulance ride. And the ambulance ride was the first time that I had cried over the baby. I'd cried for many other reasons, but that was the first time I had cried for the pregnancy um, out of happiness or sadness. Um, I ugly sobbed because I thought that I had left my baby back home um and that I was riding to the hospital by myself um and I was afraid to put my hand on my tummy even though at that point I couldn't even really feel anything anyways um and just held Brad's hand we had to fight to get him to be able to come in the ambulance with me um but I I just held his hand and I ugly ugly cried the whole way um my parents were in town for the New Year's Eve holiday, I guess, and they got to the hospital just a little bit after us. Um, I remember hugging my dad as I was lying in the bed and just said, I think I lost my baby. And I, We don't have a family that cries together very often. Um, so it was strange to be crying there with my parents um but I guess if you're gonna cry at any time that's when you're gonna do it um it seems like it took forever for an OB to get there um I mean it was midnight at that point um it took forever for someone to get there with an ultrasound machine and um she was someone that I knew. I had met her through photography. She, um, we had had a chat with them about doing their wedding photos and they didn't end up hiring us, which is fine. No hard feelings. And she walked in and just to see a familiar face, just restarted the tears again. And it was like just a little miracle that we needed. And she, she did the scan and there was a heartbeat and the baby was still in there. And 
just couldn't stop crying again. Um, I, I had had no connection to her at all. Um, up until that point, I had called her a parasite and <laughs> cursed her for making me so sick and so sensitive to smells and tired and and I hadn't loved her. And then at that point, just the aspect, just the thought that she wasn't there with me anymore, just I instantly loved this baby and <laughs> promised her that I would never curse her or call her a parasite ever again. <laughs> um, wow. I thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, that's, I don't even have words. It's just really intense and scary, I'm sure. It was definitely the worst night of my life up until this point. And what, I mean, it, it sounds like this was, I mean, obviously a huge, huge deal in your pregnancy, it sounds like it was also um, this kind of pivotal moment moment with your relationship with Emily before she was born. Absolutely. At, at that point, Brad had, I mean, he, so I'm not a big crier. So that's why I emphasize the crying a lot because he cried when I told him that um, I was pregnant and so many other times just out of excitement, just, oh, I can't wait. This is going to be so great. Um, he, he cried all the time, just so excited. And so after that day, like I just, the emotions just came so strong all the time, just out of excitement, out of fear, out of sadness, just thinking back about that day. Um, I just, I cried so much more and I just feel like I had such a deep connection with her. We weren't going to find out the gender until, um, until I delivered her. But, um, after we thought we lost her, I, I knew I needed something, you know, be able to call the baby more than just an it, um, and be able to pick a name so that if something happened, we, you know, had a, she had an identity. <clears throat> so a few days later, we found out that it was a girl. And um, from then on, she was just my little baby girl. And she stopped being a parasite or a fetus or whatever I called her that was so impersonal. And it did change my relationship with her. And I think that as weird as it is, obviously, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And I hope it never happens again to me in future pregnancies. But um even now, like I look at her and she's just my little miracle baby and I'm, she can do anything. And I, I'm just so glad that she's here. Totally. Um, thanks for sharing that. Um, the rest of the pregnancy, did you have any other big problems like that? No, I didn't. So what happened, they diagnosed it as a placental abruption, which is when the placenta separates itself from the uterine wall. Um, this is just a partial abruption, which is why the pregnancy could continue. If it had been a total abruption, then obviously that's not feasible. Um, so to, to make sure that it didn't continue to separate, um, I was put on limited activity which is the new version of bed rest um so while nothing happened i didn't have any more bleeding episodes i did spend the rest of my pregnancy very on edge um making sure that i just did the minimum that i needed to do um and for several months, I had a constant supervisor. Brad started working from home after that. Um, when I went to my pottery classes, I had a friend that had signed up for the pottery class with me. And so she was there with me the whole time too. Um, under doctor's orders, in case I were to 
um, pass out again. Um, but other than that, the pregnancy from that point on went great. So she's five months old now. So when was her birthday? May 19th. So did Brad being able to work from home, was it mostly because of COVID or was it because of um, you needing someone there with you? So he needed to work from home for to, to babysit me, I always say. Um, <laughs> and he was starting to go back to work. It had been long enough where the doctors were like, all right, if something were to happen, like we think that it probably would have happened by now. So you can start you know, going back to work. And he was going back to work two days a week for one week when the office closed down for COVID. (laughs) Um, So he's been working from home all year, except for those two days. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we're very lucky that we moved. Um, After we found out that I was pregnant, he kind of convinced us to convinced me to get a two bedroom and very lucky for that so that he could have an office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been great having him home. Yeah. It's, it's pretty nice. My husband's working from home too and I, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I have no complaints. Um, so um, it sounds like you got to a point in the pregnancy where the doctors weren't as restrictive on your activities and um and so after that like what was birth like for you so at about 36 weeks uh, 32 weeks they she was breached the whole time but at about 32 weeks they were like all right so at this point she may flip but she may not flip and if she doesn't you're going to have a C-section. So I did have a chance to come to terms with a C-section before going into the delivery, which I feel like did make a big difference for me. But um, I did the birthing classes still because I did those earlier. Um, and I planned for an unmedicated delivery. And I, I read books about you know, being centered and not feeling the pain, but just feeling it as a, as feeling it as a feeling instead of as a pain. And it's a rush, not a contraction. And it's just your body doing its natural thing. And it sounds all great, but from what I've heard about deliveries, that's not how it goes. But anyway, I didn't have to do any of that. So, um, uh, couple days before my scheduled C-section, um, I started feeling like I was having contractions, but I'd had some Braxton and Hicks a little bit here and there. So I was like, eh, it's probably nothing. But then they were very consistent about 15 minutes apart, um, for a few hours. So I was like, all right, I should call. And so I called and they said, yeah, come on in since you're not supposed to go into labor. Let's make sure you're not progressing too much. And they were super mild at that point. Um, so I went in on Monday, the 18th. And they checked me and the man that um, cervix test is just so painful. I cannot imagine birth if that was as painful as it was. Um, and I was only a centimeter dilated and the contractions were super mild every 15 minutes. And the nurses were like, you know, nurses being nurses, like, uh, so your contractions are still like barely registering and you're only a centimeter. So like, why are you here? Kind of attitude. And I'm like, I'm here because I'm not supposed to go into labor. I get that. I'm not in pain. I'm just not supposed to go into labor at all. Um, but I had eaten dinner, so they couldn't do the C-section right then anyways. Um, you have to wait eight hours before doing the anesthesia or whatever um after eating so at that point they were like well we could keep you and do your surgery at three in the morning 
or you can just go home and come back in the morning. So thank goodness they let me go home because that tiny cold room was miserable. Um, and so I went home, I tried to sleep, didn't really sleep. The contractions were definitely getting stronger. Um, and by morning time, they were maybe eight to 10 minutes apart. Um, still not super painful at all. But again, not supposed to be painful, not supposed to be going into labor. <laughs> so this the C-section, my C-section wasn't scheduled for a few more days. So it was still definitely early. Um, but I got to the hospital around 10 o'clock. Um, they had the C-section scheduled for two. And they spent that time getting me ready, um, going through all the all the things they a million people came in to talk to me and make sure I understand understood different things and it was a lot and I don't remember any of that and don't plan on remembering any of that but um basically just is they were going to try the external um rotation there's a there's a word for it but um where they push on the baby try to get her to go yeah, to kind of flip the baby from the outside. Yes. So that I could possibly try for a vaginal delivery. And since I wanted to do an unmedicated delivery, they were going to do the spinal. Um, I should have remember, researched all these words before. The spinal tap rather than the epidural. So it's a one-time shot instead of a continuous drip. Um, mm-hmm. So that if the flip were successful I could let the spinal wear off and later do the um an unmedicated delivery so they had me in all prep for a c-section anyways in case it was unsuccessful and since my placenta was unstable they wanted to make sure they were ready to do the c-section if something were to go wrong with the placenta because obviously pushing super hard on your baby to try to get her to flip is not going to be great for a placenta that's not fully attached. Uh, So they took me into the room. Brad was all dressed up in his bunny suit. And thank goodness with COVID and everything, they still let him come in. Um, That was another little blessing. Um, And the other little blessing was since, since I didn't go in for my scheduled C-section, I just had whichever nurse was, or whichever doctor was on call that day. And it was the same OB that I had seen earlier, um, the one that I had met through photography. Um, she was the one that ended up delivering my baby. That's awesome. Um, which I just thought was so amazing. So they did the spinal and I did not react well to that. It made me super dizzy. Um, so I was lying there trying to stay awake, not pass out while they did the um, external version. Um, Brad said it was crazy to watch, but I unfortunately did not get to see it. Um, it was unsuccessful. So they just, I thought it was funny. They're like, external version procedure has ended and now we are beginning um, cesarean section, the nurse is on call and they did the whole thing again. So it was like, Oh, that, that procedure is over. We are beginning the next one. Like I thought that was really funny. Like very medical and like, yeah, robotic almost. (laughs) Yeah. And then I've never had surgery like that before. I've never had surgery before. So even at the beginning they were like, everybody went around and introduced themselves. They were like, I'm the nurse doing this. I'm the nurse doing this. I'm the doctor doing this. And I'm the assistant doctor or doctor being the assistant whatever thing like that's cool and I said and I'm Rachel and I'm giving birth (laughs) (laughs) and everybody started laughing and they were like we've never ever had anybody do that before (laughs) I was like it just it just felt so natural to I mean you all introduced yourselves (laughs) that's so funny so it was kind of funny um so the, it was just oh my gosh like 
the weirdest thing. Like, so I was numb. I couldn't feel anything, of course, but I, I could still, well, I couldn't feel any pain, I should say, but I could still feel the tugging mm-hmm. of like, I don't know. Oh, it's just weird. I just remember them saying like, oh, I have her bum. I have her leg. I've got her shoulder. And this whole time, all of these emotions, I was just sobbing again. Like it had been so long of worrying about her, worrying that she was growing, worrying the placenta was doing its job and staying attached and that her just so much worrying. And now she was going to be here. And I, I just sat there and cried and cried and cried from the moment that they said, I've got her bum. It just became so real that she was here. And, and it seemed like ages before they put her on my chest. I was like, but they held her up and I saw her and she was so purple and shrivelly and covered in gunk, but Oh my gosh, my beautiful baby. I'll never forget that image. And they took her and weighed her and measured her and cut the cord and stuff. And I just, I probably said a hundred times, where's my baby? Bring him right, bring my baby, bring my baby. Where's my baby? And Brad was like, they're like, he was like telling me everything that they were doing the whole time. Okay, they're weighing her now. They're measuring her. I'm just about to cut the cord. I was like, don't forget to take a picture. Somebody take a picture. Mm -hmm. Um, I had actually asked if they would let me watch the the c-section and they said uh no (laughs) like yeah they didn't let that happen at the hospital no (laughs) I guess they're nervous about people like seeing it and passing out um right I can get but um I still wanted to see geez um (laughs) Anyways, so finally they put her on my chest and it was just such a magical moment. I just I just kept crying and crying and crying. The photos of her on my chest are like, you see some people in their C-sections with their new baby on their chest and the, you know, the curtain up and stuff. And they're like smiling, looking like just beautiful spring peaches. And I'm like, Oh, just ugly crying. My hair is all greasy and I'm just like, my baby is here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Man, that feeling of getting your baby on your chest the first time is probably the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. Just unmatched by anything else. You can't prepare for that. Right. Like, it was just incredible. Yeah. Man. So did you have to spend a lot of time in the hospital um, after that? So I wanted to get the F out as soon as humanly possible. Um, I had already spent so many, three days in the hospital that year and learned very quickly that they suck. Having that IV in you, having all of the machines beeping and someone coming in to check on you every two hours and can't get sleep and the food is horrible and the bed is uncomfortable and it's cold in there, but they don't let you turn it up anymore. And my goal was to be out of there after one night. So Mm -hmm. the one night and the next morning, first thing in the morning, somebody came in to check on me and I said, when can I leave? And they're like, um, I guess if you want to leave, you have to, (laughs) funny um check mark items where you have to get up out of bed which i was standing when i was talking to the doctor (laughs) she was like okay i guess we're good there and she said you have to fart (laughs) oh that's funny (laughs) and you have to pee on your own so i was like well i just peed and she was like have you uh passed gas (laughs) (laughs) and i was like yeah (laughs) and so she was like well, I guess we can start getting the papers ready for you. Um, Did they have any like checkbox, like checks for the baby as well? Or is it just you they're concerned about? Um, so they did have a couple things for the baby. They just had to do, they had to take her 24 hours after um, delivery. They had to take her to do something. Um, 
Brad went with her to make sure they didn't swap babies. Mm -hmm. uh, like the oxygen tests and yeah, like the whole app guard test, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, they had to do that. Um, but for the most part, they weren't really concerned about her since everything she seemed fine up to that point. They did say, however, if you take her home today, you have to come back tomorrow to get her um, to do the 48 hour test. Um, and I was like, yeah, that sounds way preferable to staying an extra day just to do that mm -hmm. test. Um, of course, I, I said first thing in the morning, I want to go home. Didn't go home until like seven that night, but that's how hospitals go, you know. It takes forever to finally get out. Like oh to get gosh. all those things checked yeah. up. Yeah. Um, so you went home and... Um, came back for the 48-hour check. You know, it's funny because each person has, like, their own, like, I don't know, just, just like, each person's birth story is different. Because for me, I was, like, terrified to leave the hospital. But you were like, get me out of here. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely scared to take her home. But the hatred of the constant beeping was stronger at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, my good friend is a PICU nurse, and she said that when we came home from the hospital, if my parents hadn't gotten here yet, that um, she would come and stay the night with us. So we went home to a nurse who let us sleep instead of a nurse that woke us up every two hours. So that helped ease a lot of my worries um, about going home and being on our own. Yeah, that would for me as well, having a nurse on call, basically. That's yeah. awesome. She snuggled with Emily all night, just come, came to wake me up when Emily needed to be fed. Um, oh, that's awesome. And then I went back to sleep afterwards, and that was a great start to motherhood. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's pretty similar to like having a postpartum doula. That's yeah, awesome. Actually, that's a really good point. So you could yeah. actually sleep. <laughs> yeah, doulas are the bomb. Um. So, were you nervous to bring her home? Like to, I guess, other than having a nurse there with you, um, was it nerve wracking or was it just kind of exciting? I think it was just kind of exciting to get everything started. Um, to like start our life. I don't know. At that point, I was just so thrilled that she was here safely that. I guess none of the negative emotions were hitting me. I was like still mm -hmm. in this post-delivery bliss. Um, knowing that Jana was going to be there and then my parents were driving up also. We weren't going to be on our own for pretty much at all. And so having all that help, even amidst COVID, like my parents have been quarantining and we're going to be really careful to um, be able to be healthy and come stay with us. I don't That's know. Great. I just, I expected to have anxiety or um, be hit with, you know, baby blues or something. I expected it so strongly that I was just shocked when I was actually kind of fine. That's great. So you haven't had many like mental health hiccups or anything after the baby was born? No, no. And I know that you've mentioned that your husband has had some some stuff going on, though, mental health-wise. Yeah, Brad had a pretty hard time after Emily was born. I think a lot of it for him, it's kind of interesting. I was just, like, in heaven after she was born, knowing that we didn't have to worry about her anymore. And after she was born, knowing that we didn't have to worry anymore, he now was like oh but there's all of this other stuff that I haven't worried about because I was so busy worrying about her just getting here like like sleep and learning how to take care of a baby and how to feed a baby and all of these things um so the same the same turning point just sent us in different directions which I thought was kind of interesting um yeah what has that been like for your relationship? It definitely 
helped us. I mean, he's always been a pretty vulnerable person um, with me. He's been open and with his emotions, but it definitely, um, I don't know, helped me realize that, like, I'm so grateful that we have a good relationship where he did feel comfortable, you know, crying to me and um, showing... It's hard to explain, but, like, when he was getting, like, having an anxiety attack, like, having him be like, I, I want to be strong for you, but I, I'm just feeling this way and I need you to take the baby so I can, um, you know, just, like, lie down and breathe. And Well, that's great that you guys could be open with each other and that you were kind of in a solid place so that you could kind of bounce off of each other a little bit. It, I think maybe this, this is why I had such a, like a good reaction to the delivery, to the birth that, um, that like he took all of the negative stuff and I, I then had to take all of the positive stuff because like I, I had to take care of him also. And so I had to maybe overcompensate. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, not, I don't think it was necessarily a bad thing um, that I was extra happy because of having a baby. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, one of the other changes that happens with obviously having a baby or the phys physical changes, um, which we kind of talked about in pregnancy, what that was like postpartum. What has that been like for you? It's been quite a journey. <laughs> um, learning to accept a different body, I feel like has been really interesting. Um, since I didn't go through, I didn't have a vaginal delivery. Like, I had expected, oh, you're not going to be able to pee and you have to do kegels to, like, you know, keep your muscles strong and stuff and you're going to tear and things. And it's, that's, that's what everybody expects, even though a third of deliveries are C-sections. And so I don't know why they're not as talked about, but, um, I mean, for two weeks, I was... It was about a week before I felt comfortable getting out of bed um, or off the couch, like, and going on longer walks across the street to the duck pond. But um, about two weeks, I felt mostly normal, maybe like 80%. And then it took about four weeks, maybe, to feel like I could do most things. Um, just the pain in my incision and um it's interesting because they there's just there's the incision on the skin but they also have to cut through all the layers below and mm -hmm. i hadn't really thought about that i was like oh yeah you're healing your scar your scar your scar but like also my uterus has a cut in it mm. and so it like hurts deep down um but it but like my hormones are different i cry more easily i my boobs hurt they're they're huge with all the nursing and saggy with the you know plump and then empty and then plump and then empty and mm -hmm. um like sex is different and just hormones make things different and then like also now calling myself a mother and like my boobs give her food like yeah it's like a weird thing to wrap your head around like are moms allowed to have sex like it's right it's weird yeah there's a lot of weird stuff that I have to come to terms with and I still haven't really and like I have extra weight and I'm soft in areas that I don't want to be soft in and I don't I want to exercise, get back to the gym and stuff, but 
maybe it's good that I can't actually go to a gym because like I don't want to lose my milk if I exercise too much but I want to feel normal and have that time like to myself and I don't know there's a lot that I haven't quite wrapped my head around yet totally there's a ton and you're still pretty like early on in like the matrescence or the transition into motherhood like Lots of people argue that it's a 10-year process. Oh, man. Because so like, um, if you think about like a mom of like a 16-year-old versus a mom of a two-month-old, like two totally different people. Absolutely. Way different. It's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And like even if there's not like um, – like even if it wasn't a vaginal birth, you still had a baby like pressing on your pelvic floor for a whole – pregnancy so like there's still going to be some weird pelvic floor stuff often not always but often yeah and my hips are still different Mm-hmm. And yeah I remember like putting pants on the first time I'm like these will never like like pre-pregnancy pants I'm like my bones are in different places I'm never getting these pants back on it's not like fat or anything yeah. like yeah yeah that's definitely true and I hate that, but I need to accept that. And I'm curious if for you it will change like after you've had like a year or two after being done breastfeeding because um, for a lot of moms it takes um, like two years when you're when done after breastfeeding to be like pre-pregnancy, not necessarily pre-pregnancy, but not feeling like you just had a baby. Oh, man, which means that by two years, I'll probably be like thinking about another baby and (laughs) it's a cycle and then I'll be like 50 years old and be like, all right, I'm going to get my body back now that I'm 50. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking. (laughs) I was talking with a, um, a mental health provider, a therapist, and she was saying how so it's about like two years after you're done breastfeeding that you get back to normal, which usually people, you know, they'll have a baby before that happens anyways. And then if you, your, your brain isn't really done like cooking until like your prefrontal cortex isn't done developing until you're 24. So if you started having kids before you were 24 and then like had them in like two year increments, like you don't really know yourself and your partner doesn't really know you until like you're like 35 or something like that when you're done having kids. It kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad um, I waited until I was 28. Yeah. 29. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the other changes that happens is um, a change in status within the group, and that could be lots of different kinds of groups, but have you have you seen that at all? Some people see that happen like – when they're pregnant and some people see that happen after the baby's born. Have you seen anything like that happen? That's really interesting because since right now we're not really socializing with very many people, like our groups are pretty small. Um, Within my family, I feel like I'm the same within our, our individual, our new family now. Like, yeah, it's definitely changed, but um, we talked about that a little bit already. And then um, within our little group, it is different for sure. I feel like some of my friends don't necessarily like have a connection with Emily where the like, oh, the first one's to have a baby. Um, and I don't want to be a flake. Um, like, I, I shouldn't say it like that, but a lot of moms are like, constantly running late and oh I can't come because baby has nap or I can't come because we're having a meltdown and stuff like that and I was like I don't want to be that person Mm -hmm. Um, but obviously I understand now that and I apologize to all those people that I ever judged I know you did your best um but obviously like the baby does come first now and so it is important like we yeah we can't go to dinner with you because um that's baby's nap time and it's very important that we keep that and 
um, people come over to our house more often since she's going to sleep or since we've got all the toys here. And, um, and this is people, our people is two other couples that we are quarantining with. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's just a different atmosphere right now with COVID. Um, Well, yeah, that's a really good point that like kind of your perception of like why moms do what they do changes once you're in it as well. Yeah. Um, Because like, like maintaining nap time can be like a form of your own self-care so that like the day goes smoother, you know? Exactly. Before Brad got COVID and we were on like, before we were on super strict isolation, I mean, we haven't seen friends in like a month. Um, so it's hard to talk about how our, how my role has changed. I can't Mm -hmm. even remember the before time. Um, (laughs) but before that it would, we were a lot more casual with nap times. Like, oh, she'd nap for 10 minutes in the car coming home from somewhere, whatever. But now that we've been home for a month and she's had a consistent nap time, life is just so much easier. And she goes to Mm -hmm. bed at a normal time and we know exactly when that's going to be, um, until she doesn't and then it's a nightmare but um you know, it's definitely self-care it's like I need that two hours that's my time totally totally um well kind of at the beginning we talked about how important it was for you to have like a solid identity um before you became a mom and now that you are a mom and you have that photography identity as well how has that been kind of juggling motherhood identity with that it's really interesting because when I go to photo shoots I feel like I just want to talk about my baby and I'm like oh wait I can't do that all the time people other people don't care about my baby like I do (laughs) but I am so so grateful that I have something that's established that I'm not trying to develop still So I can Mm -hmm. like put my business, it's kind of on autopilot where I'm not updating my website all the time. I'm not really trying to find clients. I'm just doing what's necessary. I'm doing the photo shoots, I'm doing the editing and that's it. I'm not, Mm. I'm not trying to do everything else also, Um, which is pretty great because I realized that it's harder to work and have a baby at the same time than I thought it would be. (laughs) Yeah, that was same for me. I was like, oh, this will be great. I'll work from home when I was an apartment manager as well. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is really hard. Like, yeah, yeah, it's hard. Especially, oh my gosh, I cannot imagine doing the apartment managing and like all that paperwork and going on tours and it was the worst. <laughs> uh, I haven't even considered how rough that would be. Because um, at least my, with photography, I can work in the evenings or when she's napping. I, I get to choose. I mean, obviously not the photo shoots. Oh, but then the photo shoots. That's another time that's really been wonderful. That That is a time I cannot take my baby with me. I have to leave her with Brad and it's my time. Like sometimes I drive to the city and it's about an hour to get to San Francisco. And that's, that's my hour. I call friends or well, my sister or my mom and I listen to podcasts or an audiobook, And that's just my silent time when I don't feel guilty about ignoring my baby in the backseat. And I so- love that. <laughs> I think, I mean, I, th- I personally think that's pretty important to have some alone time. Oh yeah. It's very nice. And to feel like a business person, like, oh, look, I'm going to work. Right. Like, and this, have this like other piece of you like carved out very solid and that like, it's a little separate from your motherhood life. Mm -hmm. And then motherhood comes in when I feel my, my milk come in. I'm like, (laughs) right. Yeah. I'm still a mom. (laughs) Uh, I know some photographers that will bring their baby with them, but I kind of like that you just have it be your own thing. I have a couple times, but only when I bring Brad also. uh, Mm -hmm. Because I don't, I want my clients to know that they're the priority at the time. They're paying for my time. So 
they're gonna mm-hmm. have time. Well, um, uh, are there any other things about your motherhood journey that we missed that you want to share? Um, I don't think so. I think we covered everything. Um, what advice would you have for mothers who are listening? I know we talked about it a lot, but the identity thing really is important to me. Like having something, even if it doesn't need to be a career, but even if it's just like a hobby that is yours and only yours, um, that gives you a chance to get away uh, and be someone else for just a minute, not be a mom for just a minute. I think that's super important. Totally. If you think you're going to have postpartum depression, get on meds before it happens. Yeah. And I think um, if you visit postpartum.net, they have risk factors, and I'll link it in the show notes. They have risk factors for postpartum depression, which is something I didn't know existed, like things like having diabetes or having a complicated birth or pregnancy or things like that where it's like, I didn't know diabetes had anything to do with that, but it puts you at higher risk. So Interesting. I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's good to know. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, Do you want to share how people can get a hold of you if they're in the Bay Area and need a photographer? Oh, well, sure. Uh, RachelThePhotographer.com. Pretty easy. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you for sharing your story today. We really appreciate it. No problem. Until next time, this has been the Here and Now Motherhood Podcast. 